Hey, good morning. Welcome to River Ridge Church. Welcome to folks who are online. Um, I, I love that story. Um, when she told the story about the, the woman with Downs reading to a uh, kindergarten with Downs syndrome, and the little girl says, I want to be like that someday. I just, that touched my heart. So I hope, uh, man, I just love being a part of the Dollar Club and chipping in a dollar every month and seeing what God does with that. So super excited about that. Uh, so there are some folks watching online, a lot of folks online. We actually have a few folks kind of larger than normal crowd in the auditorium because we're kind of testing for next week when we open. And I think that the fancy camera people in the live stream studio can show some sort of panoramic of you guys. So make sure you're smiling, but they're showing the backs of your heads, so it doesn't matter, right? Um, and everybody has a mask pulled up all the way over their nose. And we're going to have guys with dark suits and sunglasses talking to their... Um, cuffs if you don't have your mask on. So that's the plan. Um, so hey, but next week um, we are starting back in person. Um, we And Sam talked a lot about it, but 140 people will be uh, the maximum number that we're going to allow per service. Uh, we would ask that you would register ahead of time. Uh, and we actually, we have some folks here just to kind of see if our system works and we invite our volunteers um, to come and do that, uh, or some of the volunteers. But one of the things we even learned this morning is like Okay, I love River Ridge people. I love y'all, but like y'all are the latest people in the world. And I just say y'all because it sounds Southern because Southern people are late. But here's the deal is like when you come next week and you're coming to the 945 service, you can't come at 947 or 948 or 950 or when you feel like strolling in here. Um, please get here about five to ten minutes early. Don't come walking in because it's just there's a lot of kind of process to make sure everything is good. So if we could be together on that, that would be awesome. Uh, so you can register uh, Monday, tomorrow morning when you wake up. If you're like super into registering early, you could actually stay up till 12.01 tonight and be the first person to register. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll give a prize for that, a Target Chick-fil-A gift count, something like that. So, hey, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, just for the worship. And uh, God, thank you for all that you're doing through the Dollar Club and what it looks like to just bless our community by us coming together in generosity. I pray that I would continue um, to bless people in our community in that way. And uh, God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would show us what you want us to learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we are wrapping up a four-week sermon series through the book of Jonah. So if you want to turn and find the book of Jonah, we'll be in chapter 4 or open up your app and do that. Um, I want to give you a bit of a preview. Is Next Sunday, we're going to start a new sermon series uh, on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I think, is one of those kind of parts of Christianity that sometimes is a bit of a mystery to us. Like we are like, okay, I get God the Father, that makes sense to me. I get Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit, like is that a an it or a thing or a him or a power or a spirit or what is that? Um, and so if that's ever been sort of a mystery to you, the Holy Spirit, um, we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is uh, for the next four weeks. And I think it's going to be incredibly helpful and engaging for all of us. So I encourage you to either come or tune in online, and we will continue to have a great live stream service. For those of you that can't come to church or you're not quite ready to return, um, that will be there for you. So if you missed the first couple weeks of Jonah, let me summarize that for you. Um, so basically the situation is this, is that uh, God told Jonah, I want you to go to a place called Nineveh, and I want you to 
preach a message of repentance to the people in Nineveh because they were a very wicked city. Well, Jonah didn't want to do that, and so he gets on a boat, and he heads to a place called Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Well, as he gets going, God causes this great storm to come. The sailors and he figure out, okay, it's because of Jonah's running from God that this storm is coming. So the sailors then throw him overboard. And then at that point, God sends a great fish, a very large fish, who swallows Jonah. And the thing that we talked about from that week is this great truth that we can run from God's presence, but we can't run from God's pursuit. That God continues to pursue us over and over and over again, even though we're trying to run from him. And so then in chapter 2, we looked at Jonah, and Jonah spent three days in the belly of this fish, and he does some thinking, and he does, he kind of has a prayer journal, a prayer reflection that we get to listen in on. And in that time, Jonah really learns what it means to fully surrender. Now, does he fully surrender? We'll kind of get to that this week, but it's really helpful for us as we say, I want to surrender my life to God fully. What does that look like? And it really comes down to two things. It comes down to understanding God and his character and understanding our need for God. And so then Jonah uh, gets spit out of the fish. Uh, He goes to Nineveh, and then he preaches a message in Nineveh, which is only eight words long. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And actually, in Hebrew, it's only six words long. The shortest sermon ever given, but it's incredibly effective. And the people of Nineveh repent of their wicked and evil ways. And so we talked about the God of grace last week. And Jay talked about how God shows grace for us. And the more that we understand his grace, the more that we are drawn towards him. And so chapter 3 ends this way. This is verse 10. It says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, that would be a great ending to the book of Jonah, right? Jonah runs, a fish swallows him, he comes to his senses, he comes back, he preaches a message, and then everybody repents. And it would be a very normal ending to a book, except that's not the purpose of the book of Jonah. The purpose of the book of Jonah is not about a guy who runs and returns, The purpose of the book is not about a city that repents. The purpose of the book of Jonah is to show us what God's heart is about. You see, God is concerned with some things in life. And this fourth chapter is going to show us what it is that God is concerned about. What is God passionate about in this world? And we're also going to look and we say, well, what was Jonah passionate about? And then that leads us to a question for ourselves of what is it that we are passionate about? And that's going to challenge us this morning as we look and say, what are we really concerned about? What is it that really matters to us? And is that the same thing that matters to God? This week I was doing some reading and I came across a a, a woman Her name is Lottie Moon, and I didn't really know her story. I'd heard the name um, connected with Baptist mission stuff, but I didn't really know who she was. And so I read up a little bit on Lottie Moon. Uh, 
And basically, it was so kind of compelling to me about this woman because she was concerned with the things that God is concerned about. She had a heart for the same things that God was concerned about. And so her story, just real briefly, um, she was a missionary to China um, in beginning in 1873, so almost 150 years ago. She went to China to be a missionary. And in the stories that I read, there's a couple different ones that really stood out to me. But the turning point for her in terms of her success on the mission field in China came one day where she was at the church, or she walks into this little church, um, and the pastor is there, and they, they basically come to capture him and torture him. And so he's in the church being tortured, and they're beginning to scalp him, the, the torturers, his captors. And so Lottie Moon, who is really little, comes in, and she stands between these abusers and this Chinese pastor. And she says, you will stop. You will have to come through me first. Well, they're not really sure what to do, and they kind of look at her, and they look at each other, and they try and go, and she's like, no, stop. And so finally, they kind of give up. They're like, we don't know what to do with this little woman, and so we'll just go back and figure something else out. And so Lottie Moon takes this guy, takes him to a hospital a couple hours away, uh, and basically nurses him back to health at this hospital. Well, Lottie Moon comes back about two weeks later to the church, and the number of believers has doubled. Twice as many people are in the church as before. And so she begins to ask questions. What, what changed? What happened? Because I, as the missionary, was gone, and now I'm back. And the church has doubled with all these new believers. And they said to her, basically in awe, they said, we can't believe that a little white woman like you would stand up for a Chinese man. And that marked her passion for the Chinese people, because God was passionate for the Chinese people to come to know him. A number of years after that, a great famine swept through China. Uh, and the, the U.S. government and the Chinese government were trying to get all the Americans out because there was just no food to go around, and Americans who stayed and people who stayed would potentially starve to death. But Lottie Moon said, I'm not leaving. My passion is for these people. I'm not leaving. And so she stayed. And eventually she died in China. And as she died, she was on her deathbed. And she sang a song. And she would take a breath. And then she would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Then she'd take another breath. For the Bible tells me so. And that is how she passed into the arms of of the Lord. And that story is so powerful to me. I hope it's powerful to you because it shows that she was concerned with the things that God was concerned about, people who are far from God. And what I want us to do is we're going to look at Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to ask that same question of how can I have God's heart for people? And we're going to look at Jonah chapter 4, and interestingly enough, we're not going to really see it in Jonah. We're going to actually see it in the things that Jonah doesn't do to help us understand what it means to have a heart for God and for God's people. So it says this. So right before, the people have uh, repented and God relented. Verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I... Excuse me. 
He said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is what made me, that, I can't even talk today. Sorry, let me try this again. Rewind. Okay, verse 2. See, back in the olden days of COVID, we would just cut that out. I would start over. You'd sit at home, think that I read the scriptures perfectly all the time. Thanks, Dylan. Okay, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah in here, he says, this is why I fled to Tarshish. I fled because I didn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. I wanted you, God, I wanted you to smite them. I wanted you to blow them up. I wanted you to bring disaster to them because I didn't want them to repent. I knew that if I went there, that they would listen and they would repent. And that's not what I wanted. Now you hear that and you go, why would Jonah think that? Because it's a little bit odd to go, I mean, he was a prophet of God. He understood God. He even you know, was able to say what he was as far as slow to anger and abounding in love. Why would he not want the people to come to repentance? And there's something going on there kind of culturally, geopolitically that we don't quite understand. And it's this. Is it Jonah is an Israelite, and they were enemies with the Assyrians, and Nineveh is the largest city in Assyria, right? And so one of the fears that the Israelites dealt with is they were afraid that the Ninevites or the Assyrians would come down and invade Israel and wipe them out, and they didn't want that. And so what Jonah wanted was God saying, I'm going to wipe out the Ninevites, And then if the Ninevites are wiped out, then that makes Israel a safer place. Putting that in our context, right? So as Americans, we say, I want to be safe. But probably one of the biggest threats to America would be Islamic terrorist cells, Islamic terrorist groups who come here and try and destroy our country, right? And so there'd be a part of us that would say, God, just wipe out all of the Islamic terrorists in the world. Just wipe them out. Why? Because that makes us and where we are a safer place. And that's kind of what Jonah's thinking was. And so God says, no, I want you to go and preach a gospel of repentance to them. And that's what he did. In this passage, he quotes from the book of Exodus. And so here's the first part as far as us having God's heart for people. It's embrace the character of God. Embrace the character of God. Jonah says this, or Jonah quotes this in verse 2. It says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That is God's heart. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But the problem that Jonah had is he knew it in his head, but he didn't believe it in his heart. Yeah, he knew the verse. He could quote it from the book of Exodus, but he didn't believe that in his heart. And so if we're to be concerned with the things that God is concerned about, I would ask you this question. Is do you believe that in your head or do you believe that in your heart? Do you live it in your life knowing and believing that God's love 
is abounding, that God's grace is for everyone, and that we can be a part of taking that to people. So then Jonah says this. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah said, I'd prefer to be dead than to see this city live on. He says, take my life for me. It's better for me to die. And God asks him this question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry? Is that the way that you should think? And what does Jonah say? Doesn't actually give an answer. God continues uh, or Jonah then, instead of giving the answer, he leaves and it says this in verse 5. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, till he should see what would become of the city. And so Jonah, it says he goes out and he goes out east of the city. And when you see that word east, like um, in the in Genesis, book of Genesis, it says they went out east of Eden. It's this term that's meant to describe rebellion. When you go east, it's a form of rebellion. So he goes out and he goes east and sits in front of the city. And he's just waiting for it to see what happens, hoping that God would then bring his wrath upon the city. You know, and it's interesting um, as he does that because there's something about Jonah in this that is true of Jonah. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's true of us as well. Because you see, Jonah was the recipient of God's grace. God, when, when Jonah fled, God pursued him. Right? He could have just wiped Jonah off the face or just had him drown. But he didn't. That God pursued him. And so God was the recipient, excuse me, Jonah was the recipient of God's grace. And so Jonah wanted grace for himself, but he wanted justice towards other people. And isn't that the way that we are sometimes? That we want people to show us grace, but we want justice when it comes to somebody else wronging us. I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident, but you can kind of see it pretty clearly here. You know, I have been in some car accidents where I've hit another car, and like, you know what I really want? Grace. I'm so sorry. And I want that person to respond with grace to me, right? But if somebody hits your car, what do you want? Man, I want justice because they ran that light or they blew that stop sign or they didn't. And I want justice. And it's interesting, that dichotomy, that difference that we have. And we have a bit of Jonah in us that we want grace for ourselves but justice for other people. But part of having the heart of God, part of being concerned with what God is concerned about is having a heart of grace for all people. Continues on in verse 6. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, look at Jonah's reaction. It says he was exceedingly glad. There's a plant. It's over me. It's giving me shade. And the author here of Jonah is showing a bit of a contrast because if you look back at verse 1, it says, and Jonah was exceedingly displeased. 
And you've got that kind of contrast. Like, I'm really displeased, I'm exceedingly displeased that God is showing mercy to the people of Nineveh. But I'm exceedingly glad because there's a plant over me to give me some shade. Then he continues on. It says, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah again says, I wish that I were dead. Why do you wish you were dead? Because this plant died. It was giving me shade. You know, if I were to put on like a counselor hat, like all the counselor things that I learned in seminary and other places, I think I would say, so Jonah, what you're saying is this plant was very important to you. Tell me about that. Why does that hurt you? I mean, that's sort of the the counseling thing that would go on. It's really important to you. But here's what God does. He gives Jonah essentially this object lesson or this response. And it says this in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He goes from exceedingly joyful about a plant to saying, I'm ready to die. It's a very quick turn of events. But we can see the turn of events and what that shows us about Jonah's heart, and it's this. And again, we're looking at the opposite. To gain God's heart for people, care more for others than for my own comfort. Care more for others than for my own comfort. That's what Jonah was concerned about. I just want to be comfortable. I just want this plant to give me shade. And if I don't have comfort for me, then I don't really care about anybody else. And again, I think that can be true of us. That we care so much about our comfort that we forget to care about other people that we want things just the way we want things and we forget that God is concerned not about us and our comfort but that God's concerned about the thousands and thousands of people out there that don't have a relationship with him when it comes to comfort um, one of the things that I love is food and I'm a really picky eater but about probably 12, 15 years ago, I, I just kind of got this sense that God maybe wanted me to go to Africa. And I'm like, I do not want to go to Africa because I don't think I could deal with the food there. Like, I am a hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza and pasta kind of guy. And I've seen, you know, on videos and what they eat in, in Africa, and, and I couldn't do that. But through kind of a, a series of events with my parents taking us for safari and so forth, I ended up going to Africa and taking a mission trip with folks from River Ridge Church. And it was one of those things where I got there and I ate the food, and guess what? It was still disgusting, right? It wasn't like, oh, God gave me this supernatural ability to like ugali and stewed vegetables. I still didn't like that stuff, right? I was still uncomfortable. And so I would go, and we were there for like 12 days on the ground, and I would eat bread and granola bars, Right? It was like a great diet. I'd come back and I'd lose you know, 6 to 10 pounds every time i go. But I share that with you because I didn't want to go to what I was pretty sure God was calling me to because I was more concerned with my own comfort. And I would challenge you with this question. 
what is it that God might be calling you to do, but you don't want to do it because you don't want to give up your comfort? You know, one of the things that we ask for around River Ridge a lot is volunteers to serve with family ministry, to work with preschoolers or elementary kids or middle school kids. And there's a fear of doing that, a fear of uncomfort. Like, what if a middle school kid asks me a question and I don't know the answer? I'm going to be pretty uncomfortable. Or what if a five-year-old asks me a question? What if a five-year-old says, well, where did God come from? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to feel uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Get over it. You are not called to be comfortable. We are called to go, and with that will come some uncomfortableness with that. And see, here's how the story goes and continues. It says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You kind of wonder, like, much cattle? Why did he put that in there? It's almost like God is saying to Jonah, like, if you don't care for people, at least would you care for the cows that are there? Bizarre little thing there. But here's the thing, is the story ends in sort of an odd way. And, and I have to make a confession to you. It's been a couple years since I read the book of Jonah, and I was sitting down to prepare this sermon, this message series, and, and I read to the end of this passage, and I'm gonna, you can't really see it, but this is where chapter 4 ends, and it says, and also much cattle, and I'm like, okay, what happens next? And what happens next is Micah chapter 1, verse 1. It, like, it's, it ends on such a cliffhanger. It's like, well, what did Jonah do? Did he go back and to Israel? Did he stay in Tarshish and minister? Did he stay stewed? Did, he, did God actually smite him? What, what, what happened? It, it doesn't say. And I actually love that about this passage, about this book. It ends with this gigantic question mark. Because that question mark is turned back to us. And it's God saying, what are you going to do? Jonah was faced with this reality where he said, I'm not doing what God wants me to do anymore. I don't like what God does. And then God says, what's your concern? Are you more concerned with a plant or are you more concerned with the people that come to know me? And what did Jonah do? We don't know. But the question is, what are we going to do? Takes us to our third point, is to gain God's heart for people identify your call. What is it that God is calling you to? And really not what, it's who is it that God is calling you to? You know, one of the things that I have noticed about our community, about Charleston, and this is probably true everywhere else, but we have a lot of subcultures of people who are kind of into their niche little thing here in Charleston. And I think I was just more struck with this maybe over the last year of the pandemic than other times. But like, uh, I, got, I got into mountain biking a little bit. And I went to Little Creek Park one day to meet a friend, and there were like 25 middle school and high school kids there for a mountain bike club and a mountain bike team. I'm like, I had no idea that that existed. I was at a, a funeral a number of weeks ago, uh, and there was a group of guys uh, before the funeral started, and they were all talking about airplanes. And these were all guys that flew these single-engine or sometimes double-engine 
uh, planes around Charleston, like private planes. And they were all talking about it and talking about how, like, when they hear a plane go over, they try and identify the plane by the sound that the plane makes. I'm like, that is a very small niche subculture, right? But there's all of these little kind of pockets of people that you're into. Maybe it's you're into girls softball. Maybe you're into, you know, what happens at your elementary school, what happens here. But there's all these different subcultures. And I would challenge you to ask the question, is maybe God is calling you to reach those people. In the same way that Lottie Moon said, I am going to China and I will not leave because God is calling me to reach the Chinese people. Maybe God is calling you to be a missionary to the fill in the blank. What is it? Who is God calling you to be a missionary to? You know, as I wrap up, I want to return to the theme of the whole book. And the theme of the whole book is this. Is it really, it's the theme is in the form of a question is, what are you concerned about? What is God concerned about? It says that there are 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. In Charleston, I did this statistic about a year, about a year and a half ago. In Charleston, West Virginia, or in our kind of surrounding area, there are 130,000 people, so just 10 more thousand than Nineveh, 130,000 people who don't know Christ, who are disconnected from the church. And we as River Ridge Church are called to make a dent in that 130,000 people. But I believe that God is calling you to be a missionary to this pocket of 30 people or that pocket of 100 people or this high school or that middle school or this neighborhood or this group of people that love whatever it is that you also have an affinity for. That's what God is calling you to be, to do, to reach. And ending with this question, should we not be concerned with the things that God is concerned with? People coming to know him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you that you speak in such a powerful way through the life of Jonah and even his disobedience that you speak about his heart and challenges us about our heart. God, would you show us who you want us to reach, that we would see ourselves as missionaries to a particular group of people and that we would never give up reaching that group of people. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.